KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. So as this pandemic continues, what is going on in the world of agriculture and farming? We wanted to find out, so we wanted to check back in with John Urbanchuk, assistant professor and chair of the agribusiness department at Delaware Valley University out in Doylestown. We talk about crops, we talk about pork, we talk about beef, we talk about it all. Really interesting stuff. Give a listen. So it's kind of amazing when you think of it in these terms, but we have spent now more than half a year in the midst of this pandemic, or about half a year in the midst of this pandemic, uh, the world of agriculture. How do you feel like it's responded? Early on, it looks shaky, but uh, at least to someone on the outside looking in, it looks like uh, people, farmers have adjusted and, and overcome to this point. Well, I think there are two things. From a production agriculture perspective, the agriculture sector has, I think, responded very, very well. Uh, there have been burps, obviously, but we've overcome them and moved ahead. And, and that includes, in some cases, to the processing industry as well. The other problem that we ran into, and I think the biggest problem, was that the logistics chain had broken down. Remember when we talked earlier and the economy shut down? Virtually half of all food consumption went away, and that left producers really in the lurch because they had product they couldn't do anything with. They had to make decisions with what they do in the future. And what we've seen is, one, a tremendous amount of resilience, a tremendous amount of innovation and imagination. And we've pretty much overcome most of the hurdles that we faced and are dealing with them. I know we've talked about the importance of government aid for a lot of farmers. I've read some stuff where that aid went out, but it went a little top heavy where a lot of the big farms got a lot, but smaller farms struggle to, to get the aid. Now this is just anecdotal. A couple articles I read, I know you're plugged in with a lot of farmers that have come through your program and stuff like that. Uh, how did they, you know, as far as any discussions about uh, federal government aid and stuff like that, were they helped? Did you get a lot of people that, that were able to, to utilize programs that were available? Some were and some weren't. The program, the uh, CFAP funding program, has been expanded. The deadlines have been ex- extended. So, you know, anytime you've got a large government program, we had the same bureaucratic problems that we've had before. But generally speaking, I think the people that I've talked to have have been, you know, they've benefited from it, maybe not as much as they would have liked or would like, but they've benefited from it. We still have a long way to go, but I think the government overall, and again, again, this is an overall statement, has been one proactive and I think really, really pretty responsive to the needs that most production agriculture has. They've added some additional commodities and additional products to the CPAP program and funding. Uh, We have this program, the uh, Farmer to Family Food Box Program. I think they've distributed some in the area of about 47 million meals to people. And that's another one of those examples of how we've sort of gotten around some of those logistics bottlenecks to get food from where it is to where it's needed. So I think on balance, while they probably could do a better job or do more, they've done a a reasonably decent job. I shared with you one article I read where uh, a farmer did not plant 125 acres of corn because the demand wasn't there, made more sense to grow grass for his cows. Is that an outlier or have you heard of other farmers that didn't go for cash crops because the demand wasn't there, so they went another direction. 
Well, that's quite clearly happened. Um, the USDA put a naked report out in early July that reflected activity through mid-May to the end of June. And they reported that corn farmers, uh, that, that at, as of like the end of June, there were about 2.2 million acres of corn left unplanted. Now, that's getting pretty late to put that stuff in. So that's land that's probably not going to go into corn and probably won't go into soybeans either because there were a lot more acres of soybeans that were left unplanted. So yeah, people have uh, some people have decided they're not going to they're not going to produce at a loss. And the primary concern was a lack of market. Now, in corn, when you're taking a look at corn, the big problem the corn industry has faced has been the collapse of the ethanol industry. Feed demand held up reasonably well, but ethanol accounts for almost 40% of domestic corn demand. And when people stopped driving, gasoline demand fell and so did ethanol, uh, ethanol production. Now, it's come back up again. It's recovered. But when people were looking at that saying, Gee, you know, the market's not going to be there. But I'm not going to plant and lose money. I'll figure something else out to do. But again, it's it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not I don't think it's going to have that much of a negative impact uh, on production and prices will maybe a little higher than USDA projected they would be, which is good for farmers, actually. But, yeah, that, people are people are making those decisions. They're not deciding not to produce anything. They're deciding they're making decisions, you know, it, it, plant grass or plant some forage crop so they can use in another another activity. And then that land will be back into corn production next year. And is it mostly corn? Are there any other crops that were kind of used well, the to where three, we... The three biggest crops that have been affected have been corn, soybeans, and cotton. Now, cotton, not a big deal around here. We don't grow a lot of cotton up here. But we do soybeans, but it's corn and soybeans. And again, remember, uh, soybeans, are the, the, the USDA report said that there were roughly 12 million acres of soybeans that were left to be planted. That is, when we say left to be planted, there were prospective plantings in March, and then we had another report that actually looked at what was happening. And then at the end of that planting season, or close to it, they went back and said, okay, fine, what's actually been planted and what's left to be planted. In the case of soybeans, um, that's a big number, but soybeans can be planted a lot later than corn can. But it's, it's those are the major crops, corn, soybeans, cotton. Wheat wasn't that much of a problem. The other minor uh, feed grains, again, not much of a problem as well. There have been some shifting around, but it's it's the big crops. Kind of as an aside from COVID, we've had a lot of these big storms. I know we had the situation that uh, that windstorm in Iowa that devastated. Have these natural weather events played any havoc with the farm markets, or are these things we may not? These are the types of things we deal with every year, and I don't mean specifically bad storms like this, but natural disasters that affect yeah, farmers. There are natural disasters every year. I will tell you that the um, inland hurricane that affected Iowa was devastating, and, and we don't know the full extent of that yet. I've seen reports that indicated that roughly 45% of the, of the um, uh, corn and soybean crop in, in, in Iowa was, was affected. Now, I don't know what that means in terms of affected. People are going out and surveying it now to figure out how much of that is harvestable or whether it's, you know, re- two things will happen. One, there'll be land that's just abandoned and not harvested. And there will be, if it is harvested, there'll be reduced yields. 
And the importance of that is that Iowa is the nation's largest corn and soybean producer. So when you look at it, they account for almost 20% of U.S. corn production and uh, about the same in terms of of soybean production. So if you wipe out uh, a good percentage of the Iowa crop, that's going to have an impact on U.S. production and it'll have an impact on U.S. prices as well. Now, the impact on U.S. prices clearly will benefit farmers who have a crop to sell, and that isn't going to be Iowans. So uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that is a real severe, it's a catastrophe. And I'll, frankly, I can't remember anything that's been that dramatic in, in, in that area to affect production. Again, it's the largest corn and soybean producer, so it's been pretty significant. So, I mean, weather has been, uh, and this has been a bizarre year with weather, but that's probably been one of the, the more, I don't use the word catastrophic again, but it's, it's, that's been a bigger hit on, on, uh, on agriculture, I believe, than, than, than COVID from a field crop perspective. Kind of digging a little deeper on that with regards to field crops, and you say bizarre weather, but I feel like every year now we're having these once-a-century storms or once a century flooding stuff how i guess my question is how much do you think farmers are starting to bake into the cake that there are going there's the higher possibility of more catastrophic type weather uh it might not hit you this year but maybe something that was once a hundred years is now maybe once every 10 years um i i don't know that they've baked it in any more than they normally do. I mean, farmers, more than any other sector of the economy, face a a larger number or range of risks over which they have little or no control. Uh, Floods, droughts, um, uh, storms of this nature. Um, uh, They know they're out there. They just don't know when they're going to happen. and I think from that perspective, they pretty much expect it. Now, having said that, uh, nobody would have expected a storm of that nature, uh, of that severity in that area to do that much damage. So this is more than a once in a hundred year. We talk about floods as once in a hundred year flood. But again, it depends a lot on the timing it happens. So if you get flooding, which typically happens at least in, in the upper Midwest and in the Northeast, at the end of the winter and early spring, when snow is being melted and that kind of thing, you get flooding, that could delay planting, all right? Uh, or in some cases, you'll get fields that are flooded. I remember being in, 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 in southern Illinois a couple of years ago after um, uh, a couple of really significant thunderstorms, and there were flooded fields that basically drowned crops, but not on the scale that we've seen in Iowa. The people are aware of that, but this is this is un, this is a superbly unusually and severe. We've talked a lot about crops in some of our earlier conversations. Our main focus was on pork, meat, dairy, and frankly, I haven't seen a story in any news agency for months now about any problems they've faced and and stuff like that. And you talked about resiliency overall early on. What have we seen in these industries that have kind of allowed them to, to, to kind of find their pace again and uh, keep the, the shelves stocked? It's really, really interesting to watch this. We've seen a, in fact, there, there are two issues here. One is from the production side, obviously, the number of animals and slaughter rates and that kind of thing. And that affects supply. But the other part of this has been on the processing side. 
And if you recall, there were a significant number of, of meat processing and poultry processing plants, both pork and beef and chicken, that were affected by labor issues associated with COVID, and they were forced to shut down. Now what we've seen is we've seen those plants come back online so that capacity, the pork industry, for example, is back where it was pre-COVID, and we're putting the, 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 the meats out there. The other thing, too, is that we've seen, uh, we've seen some decline in beef numbers, beef cattle numbers, but that's not, not, not that significant. But we see continued growth in pork and in uh, poultry. And, and uh, uh, in that case, I mean, one of the things that we look at are the quarterly pigs, hogs and pigs report that report the number of pigs that are farrowed, the number of pigs that are born. And they're up over year, year, label, year over year levels so that, you know, what we're seeing is we're seeing pork producers say, you know, it's going to come back and we're going to need the meat. We can process and get it out there. Same difference on broilers, a smaller production cycle. But nonetheless, what you're looking at is you're looking at um, you're looking at fairly healthy increases in production. So that when you look at just to give you an idea on uh, beef production, for beef production, for the first half of the year, we were down almost 2% from the previous year. For the second half of the year, we're projected to be up about 1%. So we're going to be a little little down for the year, half a percent perhaps, but we've recovered. When you look at pork, we were up 2.1% in the first half, projected to be up 3.1% in the second half. So the full year is going to be up almost 2.5%. For uh, broilers. Same deal. We're looking at about a 2% increase. So we've seen the industry, one, recognize that sooner or later this is going to end and, and restaurants are going to come back and that food away from home demand is going to start increasing. So they're not going to cut output as significantly as we thought they might. And then we've seen improvements and we've seen uh, regaining of capacity in the processing industry that has also allowed for those supplies to move into the marketplace. Another interesting thing, I was on a webcast last week, the end of last week, sponsored by the Farm Bureau and the um, National uh, Corn Growers Association. And they had the presidents of the Corn Growers, the Soybean Association, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Pork Producers. And they were talking about, you know, how has COVID affected their industry? And I will tell you that at the end of this, I walked away more optimistic than I've been for a while. And I'm optimistic because one, these guys have understood that they've faced challenges. They've had challenges in the past and they're changing things around and they're, they're, they're accommodating those changes so that they're continuing to produce and supply. Then on the livestock side, the most interesting thing I found, and I've seen this myself, okay, in this particular area, in the beef and pork area, particularly in beef, Farmers are figuring out a way to get their product directly to consumers in a way that they didn't think they needed to before. So we're seeing more of that farm-to-consumer activity in the meat area, beef, pork, and poultry, and we're opening up new channels of distribution. And, and that's a very, very positive thing. So what this has done is this forces guys to sit back and say, okay, fine, how do we deal with this? How do we get around some of these issues? It hasn't necessarily been an issue for us on the production side, but we have to figure out how to get our product to the consumer. And they're, they're looking at ways to get that done. And since the livestock and poultry sector drive corn and soybeans because of the demand for feed, 
that ends up benefiting them as well. Because not much corn, not much in the way of soybeans, soybean oil perhaps, but most of that goes into to an, to an animal or a, a, a chicken uh, for, for meat or an egg. So from that perspective, we've seen a, a not only a resilience, but an imagination and innovation and optimism that you know, is going to carry these industries through to a higher plane next year. And my final question as we look ahead, what are the biggest hurdles you see ahead? Or is there really nothing that hasn't in one way or another been thrown at people that they can't handle at this point? I think the hurdles, the primary hurdles we face are, are still uh, repairing that, that, that conventional distribution system. Uh, we've made great strides in doing that, but I think people are looking at the logistics chain and, and, and the distribution chains to identify where there are weak links, if you will, and try to, to address them. So I think that's probably one of the sig- most significant uh, hurdles that we face. And then always lingering, lingering in the back of my mind is that you know we're starting to see the economy open up again, which means people are going to restaurants, they're going to... So that demand is coming up. If something would happen that we would have to shut things down again or slow that expansion, that could create, it won't create the same kind of problem or at least extent of the problem we had in the spring, but that would that would be a, a fly in the ointment, if you will. But I'll tell you, after what we've gone through in the last six or seven months, it's hard to imagine something as severe as, as, as that again. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.